Hello and welcome to Table Topics, a general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and this is Table Topics, episode number 69, Meta Gamers Plane. In this episode, Caleb and I sit across the virtual table with Roe, the creator and manager of GamersPlane.com, which is a site dedicated to play-by-post games. Caleb and I have had the chance to talk to Roe previously. We really like him and we like what he's trying to do with Gamers Plane, and that's why we invited him to be one of the founding members of the RPG Academy Network. So hopefully you will enjoy learning a little bit more about him and his site. We also spend about half the episode talking a little bit about metagaming, what it is, is it as bad as many people think, and so maybe some ways that you can use it to your advantage. Uh, please stick around to the end. We do have a couple announcements that we want to share with you. And then we do have a couple brand new five-star reviews that we want to share as well. So here is Table Topics, episode number 69, Meta Gamers Plane. Hello and welcome to Table Topics. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me, as I often do, my favorite co-host, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? I am doing quite well in my home now that I have gotten here once I dug myself out of the driveway. What's it like in the great tundra from where you're from? It's just peachy. It's wonderful. Your skin's all paley. Your hair's falling out. You have seasonal disorders. You're not joking. Yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> I know. I used to live there for yep. a long time. Too yep. long. It's horrible. It's All horrible. Right. So on these table topics, uh, we like to give advice uh, gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. And we know that not all of the advice or the opinions that we share are going to be applicable to every game system, every game table, every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? is that if you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct. So no matter what system you play or what edition or what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, then you're playing the game right. And speaking of that, uh, we have a guest for tonight's show. Ro, say hi. Hey, guys. So Ro is the founder, creator, visionary behind GamersPlane.com which hopefully you know about because it is part of our network and it is a pretty much a dedicated play-by-post site. Anything else I missed there, Ro, that would be important for people to know about Gamers Plane? No, yeah, I mean, it's a site I created for play-by-post gaming and um, trying to make it also applicable if you want to store characters, basically a a resource for gamers, uh, for RPG gamers in general. Excellent. Now, we are going to talk about Gamers Plane a little bit more in depth here a little bit later in the show, but we're going to start, as we often do now, with our Gamers Lexicon. And this is where we talk about a phrase, a term, uh, an idea or concept that would be important for maybe someone new to the tabletop RPGs to understand. And Caleb, what is our lexicon for tonight? Our lexicon word of the day is metagaming. Metagaming. Ooh, that that's a bad word, right? Isn't that like evil and wrong? Eh, depends on how you define it. All right, well, then let's do that. How would you define metagaming? Well, for me, metagaming means... Um, I guess I should have prepared this a little bit more since I knew what we were doing earlier. Um, yeah, met- probably. <laughs> and it was your idea, dumbass. 
No, my idea was the second part. Your idea was the first part, and it was just based on the oh, second sh- part. Oh, uh, shit, you're right. I'll have to edit all this out. I, I am lifting the curtain, folks. You now see what happens. <laughs> um, no one's going to hear that. I know. Uh, metagaming is playing a role-playing game with the knowledge with a focus of the knowledge in the real world that you have of the game versus the knowledge that the character would have in the game world. I feel that was a very bad statement, so have at it. Uh, I don't know if I'd say it was bad, but in my mind, I I call it playing above board or above table. Uh, When I'm playing the game, the role-playing game, I try to play in the mindset of my character. And and I'm known as a player, and if anybody's been listening, they know this. I'm I'm the one that makes the most meta jokes, and I comment not as the game, but about the game. And for me, that's that's sort of meta humor. So if you're playing the game from within it, like you're in the table, you're your character, you're reacting as your character, you're playing the game. If you're playing it as the player playing a character, then you're metagaming. Road, would you want to try your hand at defining that any better? Because I still don't think we've done a good job. <laughs> well, yeah, I think uh, I think basically the between the two of you guys, it was right. Uh, to me, metagaming <laughs> is where you use information that you, the person, knows, but that your character per- may not. Man, you're better at that than we are. <laughs> Man, okay, Roe just got hired as the new summer-upper of the RPG Academy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Best, we'll get you a business card. Yeah, new summer-upper. Um, but no, that... Really well. Um, and I, I think an example is really the best way to point it out. Uh, so let's say you are in a combat encounter and you're fighting a red dragon. As a player, you might have read the monster manual entry on the red dragon and you know the stats and numerical information about how much damage the red dragon can do, its breath weapon, uh, the different type of attacks it can take, some of the different lair actions or legendary actions if we're talking 5th edition. And metagaming in this example would be using that knowledge during the fight to make a decision and impact or dictate your tactics in the game. The difference, the flip side of that is when you're playing in the game, in the mindset of your character, if you're playing a fighter who's never seen a red dragon before, that fighter is not going to have the knowledge and the tactics of the dragon's multi-attack and what his breath weapon can do and et cetera, et cetera. So if you have your fighter who's never fought a red dragon stay at exactly 35 feet away from the dragon so as to avoid a certain attack, you're metagaming because you're using knowledge outside of the game world to affect the game world. Uh, yep, I think that is that is a good example. And, and it's not just related to combat. And as I sort of hinted at, I think a lot of people think metagaming is bad and that it is not a fun way to play the game or it can ruin the game. And for me, I'm, I'm more middle. I think there are certainly times where metagaming can add to the fun of the game, but it depends on the intent of the person that's doing it, whether it is to try to break the game and try to get an advantage, or if it's a way to make it things more interesting. Uh, an example outside of combat is uh, I, I have been known in the past to um, have NPCs that present themselves in one way 
and then turn out to be another. As in the kindly old man who sets you on the path down the, the road to free his daughter from goblins is actually the arch wizard necromancer who's trying to kill everyone and he just needs you out of town for a week. So I've had players after a while say, uh, yeah, we're not listening to this guy because I'm sure he's just evil. In fact, let's just kill him. So in game terms, you have a party of strangers just slaughtering an old man in the middle of the street because they assume that the DM is setting them up for something. That would be a meta reaction to the game, not acting as character. Ro, do you have any examples of metagaming that you've done or you've had in your games? Well, I mean, interestingly, kind of uh, the point Caleb hit on, too, is not only is it if you know the information from a DM manual or a monster's manual, whatever, uh, it's also that your character might have opposing information. I mean, we all know, especially in D&D, bards are masters of knowledge. And if you get a bad roll, your bard might assume that a red dragon has an ice weapon, or, sorry, an ice breath. If you know he has a fire breath, you can't really argue if your character thinks he has an ice uh, ice attack against you. So, to me, metagaming is, I'm kind of that middle ground, too. I think any game that gets too into meta or too away from meta gets too serious in either direction. Meta is a way you interact, you as a person, with you as a player, and me personally, I like playing people that I personally attach myself to. So meta slips in and out as I'm playing my character, as long as I don't do too much in one direction or the other. So the the biggest point that I would make here, and I think we're going to get into a little bit of a subset of metagame and specifically dealing with secrets. I think that's the thing that we really wanted to touch on. But but friend of the show, Angry DM, has written numerous articles that I think they're all worth checking out if you haven't already checked out his blog. And he's had some rants, as he likes to call them, about metagaming that I found very interesting. And basically what he says is, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'm sorry, Angry, if I screw this up, but it's not like if you spring a gotcha trap on a player that really isn't fun and it's also not scary like if you're trying to build like a horror and feeling and all of a sudden bam a werewolf jumps out that's really not going to scare your players or your characters i should say but if your players know that there's something really bad coming up but because of the game they can't avoid it they have to choose to continue to go on then that actually becomes an anxious and anxiety-inducing situation, and you can create the feeling of terror in your players that you're trying to induce in your characters. I think he uses the example of like a like a sl- uh, slime creature that throughout the dungeon you keep finding basically the leftover remnants of uh, like a gelatinous cubes leftovers. So the players know there's a gelatinous cube. And eventually they're going to run into the gelatinous cube, and at that moment it's going to be, oh no, it's there! But their characters aren't necessarily thinking that, if, if that makes sense. And I'm, again, I apologize, Anger, I probably screwed that up. But that's a way where the meta can actually enhance the game because the players are fearing for something in a way that their characters probably wouldn't. That is a really good tool to use because, as we've talked about on the show a couple times before, one of the more difficult aspects of running a role-playing game is creating and maintaining the proper mood at the table because we know we're playing pretend and playing a game and we're not playing in a vacuum and the real world is always distracting us and seeping in it's hard to stay in character and Ro, like you said 
playing to the extreme of being absolutely in character isn't quite as fun. It's and it's really difficult. I mean, I am not a skilled enough role player to act like my fighter or my wizard all the damn time at the table. And we could go into a very huge tangent about what it means to try to think as your character and react as your character and what knowledge would the character have. That's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. And it's there's no answer. There is no answer to that question and that topic. Um, I think metagaming does carry a connotation of being a bad word and being a bad thing to do at the table. Uh, and I think it is a mistake that inexperienced players fall into. Because I remember in my very early days of playing and running, when I was just consuming the books and reading and memorizing every page of rules, I couldn't stop myself from just recalling that data. Oh, I know a goblin has a plus five and has a d6 plus two, and I know a red dragon does this, this, and this, and it, I couldn't create that line. I, I couldn't separate the two anymore. And I, as I've become more experienced, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think that having knowledge and experience as a gamer is going to ruin the gaming experience. It's all about your intention, and it's all about the moment and what your choice is. I mean, there's been plenty of times at the gaming table where I've been playing, and I've said, well, god damn it, I know he's going to use his breath weapon on me next turn, but my fighter would still rush in and attack him. So I'm going to rush in and attack him. I know I'm going to die, but that's okay because my character would do that. And I have that moment of knowledge and it's, I'm still doing the thing that my character would do. Right. And I think that's the everything in moderation that in some, sometimes, some cases you are going to metagame and hopefully it's to the enhancement of the game and the story. And sometimes you're going to make a truly awful decision because you think that's what your character would do, and hopefully it's to the enhancement and to the fun of the game. But again, I don't think you should should or could do either one all the time. Ro, do you have a question or well, a point? I, I mean, it's actually, uh, I was going to say, I have way too many times where I'm like, well, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but my character just rolled a two and has no idea what's around the corner, so I'm going to pop my head around there. And that's led to way too many injuries for my characters to count. So, but you actually brought up like another point is that uh, a different subsect of metagaming is also ambiance, like you pointed out. I mean, horror games, some good music, you know, a little bit of creepiness in the background. Uh, I've done games where the GM has shook the table on certain cues to freak the players out, and it's something that as players we experience. Obviously, our characters don't experience the table shaking, but it helps turn what we as players feel into what our characters would know. So there is a part of metagaming that's good for our players, or for our characters. It's just we don't want to then take that and be, well, table shook, that means we're just about to get hit by XYZ. Right. There's, there's again, everything can go too far, and at some point you stop playing the role-playing game and you're doing something else. If, you know, you could actually turn it into a LARP if you get too involved. But but I, I don't think it's as bad of a word as a lot of people that I seem to see like on Reddit and other yeah, forums seem to think it is. And one of the things that I did, I think I mentioned this once before, is I wanted my characters to be terrified that 
even though like they were going to face something that really wasn't that tough, but I wanted them to think that it was. So I texted them all before the game and said, Hey, you guys just, just heads up. You may want to be thinking of a second character. <laughs> and so they got to the table. They all thought that the fight they were getting ready to go into was going to be like barely survivable. So I was able to induce fear in the players just with a text that did translate into the game. And obviously you can't do it every time. It wouldn't work probably more than once, but that one time I used it, I was very satisfied with the results. I think what's important to realize here is that just like everything we've talked about on this show for the longest time, there is no one right answer or usage when it comes to these terms. Uh, gaming exists on a wide spectrum of positive and negative, and the way you play and understand and use these terms and rules you make it your own and you exist where you want and need to exist. Now, I think it should be noted that towards the bad end of metagaming is that player who is doing it to win the game or is doing it to cheat. If, if a player is trying to exploit the system, is trying to make sure he always gets a good role, if uh, he is checking in the monster manual during the encounter so he knows what the monster's AC is and how many hit points it has, that might be a little bit on the shadier side of metagaming. <laughs> but in general, I think it's safe to say most players don't do that. Would you consider a min-maxer a metagamer? A little bit. I mean, in in the extent that you are focusing on the rules more than the game itself, so to a, a degree. But, I mean, everyone has done some min-maxing at the table. And if you're playing a high-level one-shot and all you want to do is create that perfect ranger who just kills everything, sometimes you do that for the sake of a one-shot. But that being said, I've done a lot of power gaming min-maxing and one-shots, but I've still role-played the hell out of that character at the table and been in the moment of that character. So again, we're existing in the, in that middle gray area of the extremes here. Right. I think we're, we're, we're dangerously close to, to sliding into another topic, which is <laughs> fine. But again, we, we said all the time, our, our message here is if you're having fun, you're playing correctly. And a lot of times the min maxers for them, what is fun is creating a broken character. Is trying to figure out, well, this feat with this magic item at this level, I roll anything over a two and I win. Finding and that's limits. fun. Yeah, and, and breaking them in some cases, you know. Uh, and I've said before, like, on video games, that's me. I, <laughs> I min-max the crap out of video games. I try to break everything I can. I look for glitches to, to, to you know, to use my advantage. But I don't enjoy that in a role-play situation. But that's not to say that it's not the right way to play. Where you run into trouble is if you have, like, one min-maxer, and a couple other people that are either new and experienced or they're like more storyteller, then that sort of sticks out like a sore thumb and it can hurt the enjoyment because other people want to role play and they want to try to figure out a different solution. They're like, Hey, maybe we should negotiate with the goblins. And the other guy's like, what goblins? I've killed them all already. Or if you have a bunch of min maxers and you have that one guy who's really into role playing and he kind of gets in the way of their fun. So you kind of have to find a balance at the table. And I think most people who play D and D at least in, in the old model, it was with your friends. So you were kind of stuck with, with your group. And if you had one guy who was a min-maxer, it, you know, it could hurt things. If you had one guy who was really immersive, it could hurt things. But I think with, with the 
the acceptance of role-playing games and the growth of role-playing games and things like Roll20, you can say, I want to play a game of nothing but min-maxers and put a table together that fits exactly the way you want it to and kind of eliminate that issue. Absolutely. Um, the Yeah, uh, any, anything I say, I'm just going to be agreeing with you. So you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> all right so i one point and then we'll move on to the secret things i did just want to touch on this is because i've i've done this a dozen times or more and i've I've heard it done and seen it done but if you are playing a D game and you're playing a character who is supposedly an adventurer like i'm a fourth level fighter and i come upon a zombie in the game i think the dm should take into account that i live in a world where zombies exist so it's not like Michael, the player, doesn't know what a real zombie is and I have to roll. My character, Rathgar, the barbarian, he may know all about bar or zombies. Maybe he's even fought them before in his background. So I think, just in general, I think people have characters roll knowledge checks against monsters way too often. I think there should be an assumed belief that most people that live in a world with, with trolls Know that, know that trolls regenerate unless you use fire or acid. I don't think you should roll, and if they get a two, go, ha-ha, you can't kill it because you don't know what's wrong. And then what you do is the DM is I, I um, manipulate them, and I throw them against a different type of troll that uses ice instead of fire. That, that's the thing that hurts them. So you can play with those expectations. But just in general, Michael, tip of the day, if you're a truly playing a heroic fantasy adventure, your heroes probably have read about or heard about or, or you know seen stories about zombies and ghouls and vampires. So don't make them roll every time to see if they know about them. And the flip side to that, Michael, rule is as a GM, you can exploit metagaming to keep the game exciting. So in that perfect example that you just gave, yes, we all know that trolls will regenerate unless you hit them with fire damage. So... If you set up an, an encounter with a troll, you're going to describe it as a, a, hey, there's a troll. The PCs will immediately say, all right, light a fire, wizard, sorcerer, cleric, give me some magic. If you flip it on them and you make the guy regenerate when he, you know, only or fail to regenerate when he takes acid damage or, well, that's actually a jet out of the book, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, ice or force or yeah. or maybe like fire makes him stronger he doubles in size or something just some crazy thing that when fire hits him yeah yeah feel free to mix up the rules with an established uh very cliche tropey monster because it keeps your players second guessing it gives them that moment of excitement at the table I mean, if you go back to your very first session you've ever played, you didn't know what a goblin did. You didn't know what a kobold did or a dragon did. So the first time you ran into one, you were, just like your character, very unaware. Uh, so when, as a GM now, you're messing with the rules and hacking things and twisting things up, you're giving your players that excitement again. So you're making it more fun for them, and you're making it more fun for yourself. So you guys didn't read the Monster Manual before your first campaign, is what you're saying? That was just me? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Caleb probably did. Actually, no. When I, my very first D&D game ever, I knew what the game was. I, of course, knew all the fantasy tropes, because you just grow up knowing those in our circles. But I did not read any books. I did not prepare myself. The guy said, hey, man, we're playing D&D. Come over. And I said, well, shit, I've never played before. Let's go. And rolled up my character from scratch, jumped in the game world from scratch. I didn't know anything. 
Yeah, that's that's largely where I started out too. Now the uh, the the metagame avenue we want to focus on here for a few minutes has to do with secrets, and these are player secrets uh, versus character secrets. And the one that comes to mind most readily for me is when you have the one player, excuse me, you have the one character who is a double agent, or he's secretly evil and he's working against the party. And at the most inopportune time, they're going to reveal their duplicitous nature, backstab the paladin, and bring ruin to the party. Another less extreme example could be where in like a backstory, you have a situation where maybe one character's parents were murdered and one of the other characters, turns out, was the murderer or they were involved. I've had players that are playing characters that are opposite sex than what they portray. They're kind of like the, the, was it Pitch Black with Vin Diesel? You have a young girl pretending to be a young boy to try to not be hurt in certain situations. So you have these various ways that you could have a character that has a secret they're trying to keep from the other characters. When it involves metagaming, do you think it's better, worse, or is it situational? That's probably the right answer. That that you share this with the other players and just say, hey guys, just so you know, I'm playing a character who's he's portraying himself as a boy, but he's actually a girl. Like, is that something you talk about above board so that all the other players know this? Or do you try to keep that secret from the players as well as from the characters? Uh, I think it depends on the type of secret. I've had the game where uh, one of the other guys was actually the main villain. He was playing with us. He was leading us down different paths. He was interacting as a player would. And then three games later, all of a sudden, he turns into a half-demon and we had to try to kill him. And I'm really, really glad he didn't tell us anything. Because that would have more or less ruined a large portion of the game. It was really great having this guy that we thought was our friend all of a sudden turn on us. Um, on the other hand, uh, I've had pl- characters where there's some aspect of how I'm going to play the character that's not what my friends would expect. And I'd rather they know that when I get started so all of a sudden they don't go, uh, what, what, how you don't, yeah, let's let's just go on. What do you think, Caleb? Uh, well, yeah, in the big picture, it just does depend on the situation and the facts and who's at your table. But I'm I want to lean more towards if towards keeping the secret and, and not sharing it because I love that moment of surprise and excitement. And if the example is one of the PCs actually being the bad guy or, you know, taking a twist and betraying the entire party or stealing everyone's gear in the middle of the night. Um, I think that moment at the table when the player says, oh, by the way, guys, I'm doing this. That moment of silence when the other players are just staring at you and their jaws drop a little bit. That moment is so real. I don't want to take that away from my players. Because we are playing pretend. We know we're playing pretend. And moments of real reaction, you can't fake those. So I, I think, I think as a GM, if I can deliver that to a player or a group at the table, that is a truly exciting role playing game. Now, that might just be me, and I'll be honest, in my games that I have played in, there that really hasn't happened. 
I've heard stories about it. I've had my friends tell me stories of other games they've played where someone turned on the party or there was a huge reveal and they loved those moments. But that's years after the game. You know, I wasn't there in the second. There's exceptions to every rule. And I think that the the secret evil PC is one of those that, generally speaking, it's going to be a bad idea. It's It's not going to be a fun time for most people. In my experience, the few of those that I've been involved in, they usually end up with the player who was the evil person and the DM laughing to each other about, oh, man, you remember that game? And then when you did that and no one knew, and every other player is like, yeah, I remember that game, and they're not happy about it. <laughs> so that's kind of the extreme example, and that's one where I think you really, if you're if you're going for that and you're committed, try it. It probably won't, won't end well, but I think everyone should try it at least once. But if it's something a little bit less extreme like that, then I think it's better to tell. And the reason I think that is if you have a table that can sort of go with it and not metagame and like constantly try to like pick out the secret, they can help you tell a really interesting story because they're playing along with you. It's like being like an improver where one person is playing the same game and the other people are playing a different game or they don't know the same rules, they're constantly going to be fighting against you and it's just going to make it kind of weird. But if everyone knows, okay, this character is a girl, but they're playing like a boy, then you can do interesting things and you can do funny things depending on what type of game you're going for because they're in on the secret. Their characters don't know, the world doesn't know, but all the players are having a blast laughing and joking about the weird situations they're getting in because they keep putting that character in situations where their secret is almost revealed trying to figure out how they can stop it from being revealed. And then the side of that, I would say, that if you create a character who has a secret like that, you want that secret to be revealed at some point. Otherwise, you didn't even have the secret. Like if you play the entire campaign and no one ever knows that you were secretly a girl or that you were secretly an elf or that you were secretly this, then you really didn't have that secret. Only you as the player have any satisfaction. I think the, the table itself and the game itself there's a moment where that secret comes out and that becomes very interesting for your character. So I want that secret to, at some point at the, at the dramatically appropriate moment to be revealed. I, I think that improv point is really good because I kind of see secrets. I see the secrets in one of two ways. Uh, either you have a secret that is about the game um, and that'd be your player is secretly the villain kind of thing. Or you have a secret that drives the game, which is that, my character got lost in the wild for 30 years, and so he knows how to speak to animals or something like that. It, it's not something that obviously it is obvious by looking at my character or by me describing my character, but it's an important part of who my character is, and so it determines how people are going to interact with him. So, I, I mean, it, you're right. It's an improv situation where I know that about my character, but that doesn't mean that anyone else at the table will know unless I say it. But at the same time... Uh, I mean, I've done games where I've given all of my players amnesia, and they have secrets about who they are, their characters don't know, and if we start to intermingle those too much, that's a, that's a secret that is about the game rather than being a secret that would drive the game forward. Okay, that's interesting. What do you think, Caleb? Um, I absolutely agree with, with what you were saying about improving and making the game more exciting. Uh, if one character has a secret, 
if the players are aware of it, then it becomes more involving. They, they want to see that secret play out or they want to protect that secret. Um, this whole idea jumped in my head because I was talking with um, Christopher from the Sharkbone podcast about uh, this topic. And he said he is absolutely on the side of um, players. The, the table needs to know the secret. There, there, he says there cannot be, uh, there can be character secrets, but there can't be player secrets. And, and his point of view was even if the players know a twist is coming or the other shoe's about to drop, they don't know when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. So that excitement is still there. And I apologize, Christopher, if I misquoted you, but I don't think I did because we just had this conversation two days ago. Um, and I do agree with him. And I absolutely agree with how this conversation is evolving and where it's going. Um, but I, I'm still going to stand by my uh, original point that in the right situation with the right people in the right game, a player springing a twist on the other players is still pretty damn cool. Yeah, if it works out perfectly, it will be a game that is talked about for years and years to come. I just, I'm concerned that it will probably end in fistfights at <laughs> above table. <laughs> well, yeah, metagaming. I mean, we all get attached to our characters, and we get attached to the campaign. Um, and at at some point, no matter how good or experienced a player you are, you will take something a little too personally that happens in the make believe world to your make-believe person. We've all done that. No one can say they has not they have not done that or felt that. Uh, because you really do get involved with this made-up character. And you're making up their backstory and what they did. And I mean, if this is just a one-shot, maybe you don't have that connection. But if you've played for a couple months or a year with one PC, you're really invested in that one PC. And when something happens that screws up your little safety zone that you're comfortable with with your pc that's gonna hit you emotionally so if you are a mature enough player to what happens in the game stays in the game it can be okay but we all have those stories of table flipping and dice throwing and <laughs> worse situations and, right so I do want to share um, one of the examples I have of, of the sort of twist, because I think this is an interesting way that it evolved, is uh, one of the few times that I got to play, and this was back in college, and there was a guy, his name was Adrian, he was our DM. Um, I was playing a monk who was secretly an assassin. So I was playing an evil character, but I never betrayed the party. But what I would do is every time we would go to a new place, I would sneak out at night and I'd take a job. And... After a while, the players started catching on that there was this assassin that was somehow connected to them, but they didn't know how. So I kind of became the focus as a bad guy because they 
they they they noticed the connection that every time they went to a city, someone died, and they thought it was like almost like a serial killer like messing with them. When it, that wasn't what it was, just like a little fun thing. Because I wouldn't even like we wouldn't even role play it out. I would just be like tell the team like, hey, I'm gonna go kill somebody this this town. He'd be like, okay, here's you know your your tenor gold fee. You killed a merchant, and it was just like a little thing on the side, but it became important to the story. And then the the players wanted to find who the who the assassin was and it kind of became a thing where I became the main bad guy though that wasn't the original intent which I thought was kind of an interesting and organic way for that to happen unfortunately we never finished that campaign it died so we never got to have a big reveal or anything but I thought that was fun well that that would be a very low key easy way to incorporate that thing that type of element and if this is something if we want to flip this around here, GM want to experiment with and incorporate, maybe you approach each player separately and say, hey guys, for this campaign, I want you to come up with something you keep hidden from the other characters and the other players. Whether it's just a secret you keep, whether it's something we do during the game, whether it's something we just email back and forth that happens in between game sessions, I mean, you can make use of this and you can build a campaign around using this kind of metagaming extra game component. So there's nothing wrong with this by any means. I think the the connotation we've been kind of spinning here is while it has its place, it kind of is on the downside of things. I think it can be on the upside of things and the positive side of things if you do it right. Um, and you could, you could start a game and say, all right, um, all right, everyone, we're getting together on Friday to roll up characters. I'm going to tell you right now, one of you is going to be doing something the other guys don't know about. And then you go to one person and say, Hey, can you role play this out? Can you handle this? If we make you the assassin that is kind of trailing along and doing his own side thing. Can you keep that up at the table? So maybe that's something you could do to experiment. Okay, so my my first thought is it would be so much more fun as a DM if I did that. Just openly said, okay, we're going to play a game. One of you is going to be working secretly against the rest and then just never pick anybody. And there really (laughs) isn't. And just let the conspiracy theories fly. That would be awesome really awesome (laughs) that is definitely a michael move all right well i think i think i'm about ready to wrap up metagame and i don't think we've covered it in a lot of detail there are so many different avenues and examples and and i will throw that out to the audience please hit us up on twitter facebook or comments share some examples of the tragic betrayal or the secret that was or was not revealed and just kind of let us know how your games went Uh, but we'll we'll wrap it up with you ro do you have any final thoughts or words on secrets or metagaming in general in a rpg game uh, I think I'll end with uh, the point you guys kind of closed up with there, the whole idea of the prisoner's dilemma. Uh, a secret can be something that you use to push a game forward by maybe it just all being not a secret at all. Uh, you know, something that you make up on the spot that actually has no relevance to the game once it starts to play out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what we've talked about, metagaming is something that's useful, it's fun, and it's a good way to keep from getting too serious about a game. Very cool. 
All right. Well, I want to transition over to talk about gamers playing specifically. And, and one thing we can touch on is I've only played in one play by post game and it was when Porter uh, set one up that I, I got to participate in. And how do you think metagaming works in a play by post game? Cause in a lot, the ones that I played in, at least there was a lot of sort of inner monologue, almost like you were reading a novel. And I think it would be very poor if you were reading a novel that the character was a girl, but pretended to be a guy. And at no point in the inner thoughts, did they refer to themselves as a female? Like that'd be kind of a cheap gotcha. So how do you think metagaming in that respect works in a play by post game? Can you even do it without being cheap and just not saying the thing that your character would probably think? I find that a play-by-post is a lot about narrative, um, and, and it's it's this interesting balance where uh, you don't want to just go out and say, well, my character, the girl, decided to do this, 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 but on the other hand, you kind of write it into your story. Uh, she went out to do this, or, you know, as someone was going along, a guy, uh, what do you call it? Cat, cat called at her. There we go. That was the word I was looking for. Uh, <laughs> so, it's a testament to your gentlemanness that you did not know that. <laughs> and that I knew it immediately. <laughs> Pretty much. But yeah, so the, it's it's this interesting thing where you kind of got to weave it into your story. And so it kind of makes it kind of makes it more interesting because it's not just coming out and flatly saying it. Some people do, and it's not a bad thing. But I like to write it into whatever it is my character is about to do because then like we said, these big reveals. All right, it's not a big reveal that my character's a female, but it's still more dramatic when I write a mini story around it. Okay. So now that we've started dead center of the topic, let's now go to the beginning. Hi, Ro. Tell us about Gamers Plane, this uh, website that you created and kind of like what, what was behind it, why you did it, and uh, what, do you wanna, what, what do you want to see it do in the future? All right. Well, uh, so I guess in my brief overview, Gamers Plane... Uh, it's a website for m- mostly pen and paper uh, play-by-post games, but really I wanted to make a pen and paper RPG community. Um, you know, we have our sites, like we've got Roll20 to play your games online, and we've got all of our SRDs to make our characters and whatnot, but I never really found something that let people meet and connect and talk to each other uh, at a player level. And so... Years and years ago, when my uh, RPG group fell apart a little bit after college, or a little bit in college, uh, I wanted to get more into gaming again, and I had no one else in the area that I knew, so I'm like, all right, well, let me just make the site. I'm a web developer by profession, and so, of course, my first thought was, I don't see it out there. I'm going to spend hundreds and hundreds of hours building it myself. Um, (laughs) So... Gamers Plane is uh, basically that. I want to make a community where people can come, talk to other gamers from all around the world at this point. I mean, just, uh, I think yesterday we got some from Norway. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, And, you know, find out games you don't know that exist, ways to play new games. Um, And I've got a bunch of tools on there to make gaming both online and offline easier. Okay, so the play-by-post game that I was in was ran on a forum of another website. Um, I think Order of the Stick or Giants Playground is what the actual website is called. So what are some things that your site does differently or does that other sites don't do that would that would make you a premier destination versus uh, a, just a forum on another site somewhere? Uh, yeah, so I've got a 
we've got a bunch of things that, I mean, as a coder, I think are pretty cool, but I think most players will appreciate. Um, one of the big things, I've played on other play-by-post sites, and when it comes time to roll dice, you just kind of have to assume that someone's not lying, or the GM does all the rolls, and it's not as interesting to me. Uh, so I've got dice rollers built straight into the forums. When you're making a post, you add the dice that you want to roll, and it embeds it straight on there, so there's no doubt, like, if I said I rolled a 20, but I actually rolled a 1, can't really lie, because the site does it. Um, I've got card, uh, card draw systems, if you're playing something like Deadlands. Um, I've got dice from Fate, different things. So, you know, it makes it easier for people to play, because your resources are right there. Uh, the biggest thing for me that ends up being most of my time, but I think it's the most fun, custom character sheets for every game. So if you're playing D&D uh, 3.5, it's a different character sheet than D&D 4, D&D 5. So you actually feel like, just like it would be offline, you're playing that same thing online. Now, I know, at least with like the Roll20 uh, program, that there's a, a huge demand for DMs. There's, you know, probably 10 to 1 players to DM ratio. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you seen that on Gamers Plane? Are there more people that want to play versus DM? Or, like, are you trying to incentivize being a DM or anything like that? Uh, so I think right now, because the site's still pretty new, um, surprisingly, we've got more people wanting to run games than we have players right now. I think we have three or four interest threads right now. Uh, we've got games for Numenera, for Hunter the Vigil, um, actually a second Numenera that I can think off the top of my head, a few of them. So it seems that the people that are really, I mean, I think those of us that DM, we have a slightly different connection to these games. We're more willing to try different things and take risks. I think players want to be in something initially that's a little more settled. Uh, so I think I'm at that phase right now where I've got a good number of DMs. Uh, I'm still trying to drum up the player base to catch up with that same demand. I think once I get going, though, we're always going to have the issue of more DM or more players than DMs by a pretty far stretch. Right, and we should we should uh, stipulate that you. How long has Gamers Plane been active? Like, when did you actually launch? Uh, so I launched about a year and a month ago, but. Activity really picked, or activity really got anywhere. I'd say seven-ish months back. Okay, so in the grand scheme of things, compared to some of the other established website, you're still in the kiddie pool. Oh um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I mean, I still consider it uh, as far as anything. I'm still just getting started. I a year passed for my site, and I didn't even notice because I expected it to be months later. Uh, I'm I'm just going with where I am right now. And it's it's doing pretty well. No, yeah, and, and obviously we thought so as well. I know we you were one of the two sites that we launched with when we started our network, and and it wasn't necessarily what you are at, but where we felt you could go. We you know we were really impressed. We we talked offline before we talked about the network, and we got to know you a little bit. And and I really liked your gaming background, and I liked what you want to do with Gamers Plane, and I thought you had a good vision. And so I was very happy to have you part of our network because I, I think that is an avenue for gaming that we don't touch on a lot on our show. But I think is the one game I was in, I had a lot of fun. I'm sorry. you know, I was really sad that it fell apart. So uh, I definitely see bigger and brighter things for you in the long run. Now, back to my question, though. Um, so do you see, like, when someone comes to your site, do they often come, like, I'm a DM and here's my players, but we're going to play 
on your site, or do you or do you see a lot of people saying, "Hey, I'm willing to run," and then players fill up the slots? So interestingly, uh, some of the first active people on my site were actually from one guy signed up. He thought it was really cool, and he started a game with a bunch of his friends. And I thought that was really awesome. Um, I actually that reminds me I need to follow up with them because I want to see how much they're enjoying it too. Uh, but so uh, in the recent last few weeks, I've seen a bunch of people. Um, I think I'm pretty active on Twitter, so I think they're probably responding to that, uh, coming on and going, yeah, I want to run this game. This seems like a really cool way to try a different thing out. So I think people want to try a different experience in gaming because, I mean, I personally know I'm hitting on 30 now, and uh, I don't have as much time to game as I would really love to. Oh yeah, it's one of the things that that, that sort of uh, sneaks up on you in a play by post game is that it, you think that it's going to take so much time because you have to write out everything, but in truth, you just do it in five minute increments. You know, you can be at lunch at, at work or if I don't, whatever your internet situation is at work, you just jump on for a couple minutes. You you do your part and then you check back in. You know, whatever the um, understand it is for your game and some of them it's like you post at least once a day or some you have to post at least once a week or whatever but it, it's actually not that time intensive but you can get really deep and immersive games because of the format i said i was very impressed and, and we are committed to starting some games on gamers plane we just haven't got around to it yet i'm not gonna say why but it's caleb's fault uh, but hopefully soon there will be an RPG Academy game or two on there with some of our patrons and obviously just some of our Twitter friends. But, uh, but yeah, I, I really like what you got going on. Uh, I am signed up uh, as a user, but I haven't actually been active yet. So, okay. so someone's new. They, they go to gamersplane.com. What's, what do they have to do first? Like what's the first steps to get, on, get them set up? Well, uh, I mean, depends. You can uh, start out just by checking out the forums. Um, there are a couple games that are public, so you can see how things run. You can just check it out. Uh, one of the other big things is, like I mentioned, some tools. For example, uh, we've got a character library. Um, need to double check how populated it is, but anyone, if you, a lot of people are making characters. If they think they're cool, they can make them public, and anyone can check those out. Um, and so it kind of makes a character repo for anyone. Uh, and if you like how it's all going, you can sign up. Uh, all you need is an email address. Uh, don't require any blood, no sacrifices. It's pretty kosher. And you can get started in any way you want. Okay. And then um, you're more active on Twitter than anywhere else. It's at GamersPlane. It's at GamersPlane, yep. Okay. All right, Caleb, do you have any questions for Roe? As typical, I've dominated this part of the conversation. Um. No, I don't have any specific questions, but I, I just want to say to all of our listeners that I've always liked doing the play-by-post games. We've talked about play-by-post on a couple shows in the past. My biggest hesitation to start or continue play-by-post games was their location. Most of the time... Play-by-post games are run in forums on another site. Now, it might be a gaming site, uh, but more often than not, it is a typical forum site, uh, something about comic books and movies, and there's a separate forum where there's all these play-by-post threads, or it's over on the such-and-such-a-site that's about gaming, and there's all the forums about the site 
and then there's a separate chunk of forms for the play-by-post games. And um, I have just always been hesitant to do more play-by-post stuff because I don't know these people on the forums. I don't know the rules. The formatting is a little bit uh, unfamiliar to me. And we all know how I personally feel about doing things on public forums and interacting with the majority of people on public forums. So that has always held me wait, back. Wait, wait, wait. Do we know that? Like, have we, have we, have we told people about that? I'm pretty sure we have. Oh, okay, okay. It, it, Would you like to tell them again? Uh, it's very similar to my feeling about almonds. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. Enough said. So, um, when, um, when we started talking to Roe about Gamers Plane, my eyes just lit up because this is a site that is dedicated to play by post. It is a very good quality site. There's awesome features, and it is a site that is built and maintained by a gamer who wants to do this. And it is dedicated to the play-by-post content. I don't have to go to the comic book forum and sort through all their craziness to get to my play-by-post game. I don't have to interact with all that kind of stuff. I want to play a game. I can play the damn game. And I'm going to be playing with people that want to also play the game. I'm not going to be dealing with all these other random users who have, you know, side threads and conversations and uh jokes and and behaviors that I don't care about and I'm not part of. So the community that is starting and is growing on Gamers Plane is awesome because it is dedicated and focused to the people that want to do this. So that being said, Ro, what you're doing is awesome. <laughs> and I and it's cool that you're doing it. Thank you for doing it. And the fact that you have uh, stepped up and join our network here and that we can use you as kind of our official go-to is really awesome. It's a pleasure. It definitely was. Excellent. Yeah. And I think too, it's a, a testament to you that you are still evolving. I know if a couple if a couple people mentioned like, Hey, this would be cool. You're on it. You're figuring out how to do it. You're trying to, trying to give it, give it to them as quickly as you can. Uh, and I just think that says a lot about, uh, about you. And, and again, the future gamers playing in my mind is, is astronomical where I see this going long-term <laughs> and uh, we just happy to be part of it. Uh, hopefully uh, rattle on your coattails a little bit. Uh, I think it's, it's good for both of us. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a site for the gamers if I wasn't paying attention to what people wanted, damn, I'd be doing a really bad job. <laughs> so again, we we have dedicated. We are going to get a, a game going soon. I, I was giving Caleb crap, but he and I both have been very busy. Neither one of us really have had time to start. But but it is in our um, somewhat immediate plans. We're still working out the details as to what system we're going to play and exactly how we're going to find players. Uh, but as always, we love hearing from our listeners. So hit us up on Twitter or Facebook and maybe if we get a little contest going, if we get enough people voting for a specific system or a specific uh, type of game, maybe that'll force our hand a little bit. Um, but I think that's about it. Rose, is there anything we left out that you'd want to share about yourself or about gamers playing that people would want to know? Uh, no, I mean, I, I hope that, uh, if anyone wants to check it out, you know, uh, let me know what you think. I'm always looking for improvements, ways to fix up the site, make it better for everyone. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I love talking to. I've met so many gamers through the process of starting Gamers Plane. That alone 
has made the entire effort worth it. I agree. I've said before that probably the favorite thing that has come out of my experience with the RPG Academy has been the community that I've always been a secluded gamer. I play with my friends in my basement. And even though I've played for almost 20 years now or longer than that, it's been a small thing. And all of a sudden, poof, I'm part. It's like the Matrix. I took the pill and now there's this whole new world that was always right there. I never knew about it. And it is it is brimmed full of great people who, you know, gamers sometimes get a bad rap, and there are a few of us out there, and, you know, some of us who are good have our bad days. But overall, it has been an awesome community to be a part of, and I think you are a welcome addition to it. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time tonight, Ro. Caleb and I have a couple other things that we're going to add on to the end here, but we will let you go and nurse your your ankle, <laughs> and uh, hopefully we will see you on Gamers Playing soon. All right. It was a pleasure. Thank you guys for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Ro. Thanks, Ro. Alrighty, guys. Well, hopefully you enjoyed our conversation about metagaming and secrets. And as I said before, we want to hear some of your thoughts and some of your examples on uh, how it went well and maybe not so well. Uh, but we're going to move into the end of the show. We have a, a couple announcements, and then we also have some new five-star reviews on iTunes that Caleb is not going to read awkwardly at the end of the show. So our first announcement, we just want to reiterate our Gen Con contest. Uh, Gen Con housing registration went live this past weekend and there was a flurry of activity and there was some people that were a little upset about how the lottery system worked and you know those some people have gotten always got a hotel room right downtown and this year they couldn't but you know Gen Con is growing it is growing at a I don't want to say unprecedented but it's growing at a Ex exceptional rate exponential is the word exponential is the word i'm looking for it's getting bigger every year which is awesome and i know that some of us you know i've only been to gen con twice I, i'm already including myself and us in the long timers but you know this has been their convention for so long and now it's being flooded with these new people but that's a good thing you know our site is dedicated to helping new people play role-playing games and for people to get better at it and more people at Gen Con is just a sign about how role-playing games have become more mainstream and more popular and more accepted. You know, this is what we should be hoping for. But yeah, there's going to be some bumps in the road when that happens. But hopefully you're going to Gen Con. Hopefully you got a room where you wanted to or close enough. And hopefully we will see you there. So reminder, we are going to have some official RPG Academy events. They're not officially scheduled yet because we're still working out the details, but we do plan on having a get together on the Wednesday before. We are close to finalizing those plans. So once we do, they will be announced. But if you're going to be there Wednesday night, more than likely you'll have a chance to hook up and say hi to us. And then for our contest, we are giving away a four day badge to Gen Con. So if you haven't already gotten one, or if you already have, I think there's a way that you can refund yours and then we can replace it with ours. But basically, we're going to give away a badge. We're going to make sure that it's in the winner's hand prior to event registration so that you'll have it in time to register, which is May 17th. So probably early May is when we'll be able to announce our winner. Super easy to enter. Caleb, if someone wants to enter, how do they do that? Well, uh, essentially, you write, I want to enter on the back of a $100 bill. And you mail it to my address. <laughs> and the more I get, uh, the better chances you have of winning. That's not the official rules, but I can't argue. Yeah, if someone I, sends you 100 bucks, I kind of think you're going to have to let them win. <laughs> I am 100% behind this contest, so I think I'm going to make that official. But no. <laughs> uh, the uh, official way to enter is very simply to go back and listen to anyone of our shows 
and then send us a new name. Because, let me lift the curtain here, folks, Michael makes up all the names for our shows. And quite frequently, he does that after slaving away for hours of editing in the wee hours of the morning. And come on, guys, we know how terrible that is. Yeah. So Some of them are pretty bad. Some of them are, are very bad. Uh, but I can't really take any, uh, any responsibility because I, I don't, I don't have any part of that. Um, but we are asking you to take some responsibility. Listen to an old show and send in a new name. Basically, we need you to send in, uh, the number of the show you listen to, the current title, so that we know what you're talking about. And, uh, then send us your new title as well. That's pretty much it. And the ones that we think are the best, the most interesting, the most funny, the most meta, we'll compile a list of our favorites and we will put them up on the website for people to vote. And at that point, it becomes pretty much a popularity contest. The one that gets the most votes will win. Uh, so far to date, we've had one entry. So right now, Mundangerous, you have a 100% chance of winning, my friend, uh, which I would be okay with that because you seem like a pretty cool dude. But I would like to see more people enter uh, and try to drop that percentage a little bit. So please uh, listen to some episodes. If you think you got a better name, send it to us. Uh, send it to either podcast at the RPG Academy or send it to Michael at the RPG Academy. Either one. But in the subject line, put what's in a name because that is the name of our contest. And then, as Caleb said, tell us the title of the original title and your new title. And I said we will compile our favorites, put them together, get them up on the website, and sometime early May we will announce our winner. We will verify that they are, in fact, going to go to Gen Con because we're not going to give it to someone who's not going to use it, and then we will make sure they get their badge. Uh, there is no real limit to the number of times you can enter this contest, guys, uh, but we do ask that you only submit one new name per episode so feel free to listen to listen to every single one of our episodes if you want to and we've got about how many episodes now michael 200 200 yeah somewhere in there so okay there is a limit to the number of times you can enter it's 200 <laughs> sorry guys much, we had to cut it. it off at 200 yeah that's right which by may it might be like 250 who knows i don't know we release a lot of podcasts um, but yes, we would like to see uh, that contest be fully utilized. We, we ran one last year to get into the, the 13th Age game. Uh, Phil was our winner. He had a blast. Uh, he's emailed me talking about how much fun he had in that game. And he and I are hoping that we can hook back up at Gen Con this year and do some more gaming together. Uh, so please, listen to our podcast and submit a name and possibly win a badge to Gen Con. We have one more, more announcement, and then we are going to get to our uh, not awkwardly read reviews. Uh, Caleb, what is our big announcement for Table Topics episode 69? And do not make a dirty joke. Damn it. Don't, don't throw it out there and take it away from me, man. That's not cool. <laughs> All right, guys. Our big announcement for uh, this episode is that our new network family is growing. We will have a new member added into the RPG Academy network. And we are happy to announce that the third member of our network is the Sharkbone Podcast. Dun, da, da, da. Insert sound effect. Sound effect. <laughs> Don't edit that because that was funny. 
<laughs> yes, uh, Sharkbone. I, I think the new name is actually Sharkbone Sandbox Podcast. Devin uh, originally his original Sharkbone podcast was one of my favorites. I listened to it every week. I went back and I'd listen to every episode. I thought it was an amazing podcast. I love what he did, and I was very sad when the Sharkbone podcast went away for a little while. So I was extremely happy to hear that he was bringing it back. And, and the format's a little bit different, and he has a different co-host, Christopher, who I had the pleasure of gaming with recently, and he seems to be an awesome guy as well. And uh, I like what they're doing as well. I think Devin's got this podcasting thing down. He knows what he's doing. If you have not checked out the Sharkbone Sandbox podcast, you might want to soon. I hear there's going to be an awesome extra special co-host on there. Um, who would that have been? Oh, that's right. RPG Gamer Dad. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he was on yeah. there. Yeah, and I uh, think they scored Vin Diesel. Oh, we've been working on that. Nerd Proker too. But anyway, yeah, it's an awesome podcast. Basically, their conceit now is that they are going to build an entire world by breaking it into districts, and each district is a different genre. So you have a genre that's your typical high fantasy. You have a genre that's like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. You have a space opera setting. You have a modern horror district. And each episode, they, they break down a different district. They add to it. They add people. They add places. They add complications. And the idea being that you could, A, follow the same process to help you develop your game world, or B, you can just steal whole cloth what they come up with and incorporate it into your games. And they're nice enough to put it all together on a Wikipedia so that if you're like, oh yeah, I remember that first time they talked about space opera, but you don't necessarily want to have to listen to the entire episode again, you can just go to the wiki and all the information you need is right there. Uh, I thought that was super slick and I was excited to get a chance to game with them. We, we talked about the possibility of them joining. They were all for it. So we spit in our palms and we virtually shook hands and then we wiped our hands because that was gross. And now they're officially part of the RPG Academy Network. Yep, it was exactly like that. There was nothing out of the ordinary or exaggerated by anything Michael said. 100% true. 100% true. So, Devin, Christopher, thank you so much for joining our little network. I'm a fan of your show, and uh, I wish you all the success in the world. And uh, I can't wait to do more gaming with you guys. So we will transition now to the ending where Caleb will not awkwardly read some reviews. All right. So our first new review, uh, which is five stars, uh, is from user Patlar98 titled Awesome Podcast. Just listened to the latest table topics and can't recommend it enough. I haven't DM'd in 30 years, but here I am writing an encounter for a small group, getting great tips from Matthew and Caleb. Love their discussion on DC and ways to make it narratively interesting while fitting within the rules. Can't wait to run my new campaign, made better by listening to this podcast. Well, Patlar98, thank you so much for the comment and the five stars, but I think a, uh, a certain co-host is glaring at you across the internet, but we can't take that for certain because this is a podcast and you can't see us, so there you go. Uh, and our next uh, new review, also five stars, thank you, thank you, thank you, is from user, oh, I might butcher this one, um, oh, Sci-Fi Traveler. That was way easier than I thought. I couldn't see my screen because I'm old and I have glasses. I'm an old man. Uh, Sci-Fi Traveler titled this review, Great Show. 
I've been listening for the last year now and just never got around to writing a review. This is a great show, and I've really enjoyed many of the live gaming sessions covering different games and worlds. If you're into running or playing RPGs, you should give this show a listen. And if you don't find the campaign they're running your cup of tea, check back. They are always recording different campaigns. Keep up the good work, Weston Lightfingers. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, so uh, Weston Lightfingers slash Sci-Fi Traveler, whichever of those is your real name, or whichever you prefer to be called. Thank you so much. Thanks for attending the RPG Academy and listening to our podcast. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. This podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash the RPG Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We will use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out numerous ways. One, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, or you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. Also, if you clear your cookies and then visit Amazon or drive through RPG through our portal, we get a kickback from your orders, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like an RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com, or you can reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google+. We are there under the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, Caleb G, at... The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.